Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what we like to call the TLC. Hi, my name is Greg Gregory, certified speaking professional and the host of the Teamwork Advantage, where once a week we bring you guests to come in and give you ideas that you can implement immediately into your everyday life. I like to always refrain and tell everybody, hey, remember, teamwork is not just at work or on a field. Teamwork is everywhere in our lives. So these ideas that you can get, you could probably apply them in multiple areas of your life. Today, we're joined by a great guy. He's on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. And we're going to have a little bit of fun chatting with Raul Hernandez Ochoa. And we're going to chat with him about business strategies. So we'll talk about different levels of business, entrepreneurial through business and keep things flowing, how people can hit their ROIs. And then again, how you can hit your family ROI and tie it into that. So Raul is a business strategist and he helps entrepreneurs create and create a certainty within their business. He's trained hundreds, if not thousands of entrepreneurs through live seminars, online programs, as well as private mastermind groups. His work has helped positively impact the lives of clients, teams, and he's helped flourish with all of them. Productive Profits has helped entrepreneurs not only scale with certainty, but make a difference in the marketplace. As I said earlier, he lives on the West Coast. He's in one of my favorite towns, San Diego, California, and he loves life with his family. When he's not working, drinking homemade cold brew coffee, he's either in his community, helping out, working at church, training for some crazy obstacle course, or maybe just surfing. After all, that's what they do in California, right? <laughs> his mission, as he likes to say, is to help successful entrepreneurs create certainty in their business with simple, and that's a key word, simple proven frameworks. Raul, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thank you, Greg. I'm excited here. One of the things I'd like to start with, with our guests, and of course, for those watching this on video, Raul's business is called Do Good Work. And over his right shoulder, you'll be able to see a, a plaque with his business name right there. So it's not just do work, it's do good work. What I want to talk to Raul about up front is how did you get there? Okay, I don't want to go all the way back to when you were born, but mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about what got you to where you are today and working with entrepreneurs. There's, there's got to be some secret sauce. I mean, I'm sure you didn't come out of high school saying, I'm going to teach entrepreneurs. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, so I actually was uh, and still am a creative. I wanted to be in animation. So when I got out of high school, I was emailing it through my AOL account, if you still remember what those are. Uh, I told you I how long ago that was, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Your dial-up account, probably. Yep. And it was uh, to, I believe it was DreamWorks, a director of animation. Uh, but then I saw from a, a local college here, uh, San Diego State, that entrepreneurship was a path. There was a company here that was creating products, e-commerce, uh, but a proceed of their profits were going to solving cataract surgeries for those most in need in India. And I thought that was pretty cool that we can, their students, kids my age, creating not only a profit business, but also making a difference in the world. So that really do dove me into getting into one of the, uh, the programs there at San Diego State, only 12 out of like the 200 kids of my school, I would say, school of business. 
Uh, but there I had my first mentor who uh, was really in the weeds of growing enterprises at a very large level. Um, okay. And I got to meet and work with other entrepreneurs and founders in town and meet cool names. Like I, I learned how to paddleboard with the co-founder of Volcom. I was uh, given opportunities to hear uh, the CEO of, of Costco talk. I was in the same room with the CEO or founder of Taylor Guitars. So it was pretty cool. It was a good eye-opening experience. And then when I graduated, my goal was to, uh, to start a software company. So I joined an online community to start a software company, but that transitioned into learning about marketing because you had to actually talk to the marketplace and say, hey, what are your needs? A lot of people apparently need help with marketing. So with uh, me and a business partner from Brooklyn, New York, we actually connected online. We started a business, started serving clients. We grew it to a point where we were uh, investing in other masterminds and programs. And we were thinking to ourselves, is this really the trajectory we want to be in? Uh, we decided to close shop. And then I worked and helped other online marketing agencies grow, uh, which got me involved to growing companies at a rapid pace in a short amount of time. And then a mentor at that during that growth phase during that time mm -hmm. uh, took note telling me, hey, what you're doing is a little bit unique and different. You should write it down. So then I wrote down what I was learning, principles and things that I would teach here and there. And I, that actually consolidated to writing my first book, Productive Profits, uh, The Founder's Guide to Scaling Your Impact. And, and in that book, I laid down the groundworks of my experience of producing results. So it's not theory. It's all uh, actual experience to growing a company. But not just that, but making an impact and making a difference. Uh, from there, went out to do consulting and helping other companies do that, mostly remote and online and digital. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are now with Productive Profits as a core offering and helping entrepreneurs really not just scale their business, which is important, but also scale the impact that they're making. Because if you're mission-driven, you're focusing on creating a ripple effect in the marketplace, it's a, if it's meaningful, we should grow that. And that's, that's so key. And one of the things that I, I picked up on there that you said was, um, the mentor and that took, took note of everything told you to start writing it down. Were you keeping a journal before that? And do you continue to keep a journal? I, before then I have not before then I was starting, okay, I'll start taking notes on different areas. So I started creating different, if I, in perspective from today, there would be lessons. So I'd be mm -hmm. looking at them, creating different lessons and different parts and then piecing them together into creating the book. Today, what I do is R&D. Um, I follow the philosophy of uh, uh, Drucker. So business okay. is either marketing and innovation. So for part of my innovation, I always focus on what are clients asking? What are the okay. big pain points in the marketplace? Right. What is the research and development that I can do and expand and further help? Okay. And that's just fascinating when you start to get into it about how you get to where you are. So many people go down one path and then a door opens up and they're down an entirely different path. So let's get into essential elements of a company. There, there's certain things that successful companies do. So have you found what some of those key essential elements are that companies do on a routinely basis? Absolutely. Okay. I, I like to break down business into three components. So I'll okay. go a little bit further uh, here. There's operations, there's marketing, and then there's product. And product. Okay. Ops. Ops, marketing, and product. So within each of those, there's specific habits. And I like to focus on habits because these are not just one-time actions. These are habits that we can uh, spin the wheels, so to speak, and optimize and create better, uh, better processes, better performance, better outcomes. Within those habits, there are certain actions. 
And that stems all the way from your marketing, lead generation, sales conversion, right. client onboarding, fulfillment, team success, referrals, et cetera. With any given company, from my experience working with, you know, startups at $200,000 a year companies, $800,000 a year companies, all the way to companies at 20 million, I've seen that there's essentially around anywhere between six to 12 different habits for companies. And if you find those specific habits, if you focus just on the, that, that 20% of the six to 12 different components, you perfect those, you'll see 80% of the results going back to Pareto's principle within your company. Because business doesn't have to be very complicated. I think working with humans and team members and coaching and training and uh, leading mm -hmm. a team, that's probably the most complex piece of the art. But when it comes to creating a machine, uh, it's very straightforward. It's interesting you bring that up. And I love the, your analogy, or not analogy, but your, your recall back to Pareto's principle with the 80-20 rule. And if you just focus on certain things and become a master at it, that's, that's so essential to being able to focus in on that area. So when you look at those, do you want to share with us, can you share with us some of those essential elements? I don't have time to go through all 12 of them, but what are a couple of the elements that you find that are very common thread? Well, let's just start with any business. Every business in the world needs sales. Sales is breathing. So within sales, what does that com come down to? How am I getting leads? That's one component in lead generation. Mm -hmm. The second one is sales conversion, like qualifying, making sure that they're a good fit. After sales conversion, then we look at you know team onboarding. If we're if it's a product or a software or if it's a service, how are we onboarding that that client, that customer, and making sure that their experience is not only the best experience, but we fulfill on our promises. So onboarding, client fulfillment, and management. Okay. But then we also have to take care of the teams, the systems, the processes, supporting those. So then it's also team fulfillment. So for there, I just described five different habits of lead generation, sales conversion, onboarding, fulfillment, team success. But within each of those five, there could be particular activities. For example, for okay. lead generation, there's not just one way of getting leads. There's six different ways of getting uh, customers to your to your business. If it's paid media, earned media, if it's uh, referrals, if it's affiliates, there's a lot of different ways. What are the ones that you're focusing on? Because you don't have to focus on all of them. No. What's the way that works best for we'll you? Focus on the ones that are going to fit for your organization, your company, your uh, industry, if you will. Exactly. And that's where the customization really comes in. Because mm -hmm. if I give you the framework, like the human body, the anatomy of the body, we're 95% the same around based on the last like statistic that I read. We're about 95% the same. The body is typically the same. However, there are that extra 5% that makes us uniquely ourselves and that you are uniquely different than the person next to you or than anyone else in the world. So when we look at that customization piece, how do we fit these elements, these frameworks within your organization, your goals, your purpose, your culture, but also with the way that you work? Because some people okay. have goals, and I, I talk about this in Productive Profits, that there's usually two tracks. You either have a goal that I want to scale this business, and I want to grow and create an enterprise. I want to go public. I want to get a VC funding. Um, that typically requires high investment, high. There's a lot of stress involved with that, but it's right. definitely a, a really great ride. Entrepreneurs do that. The other side of the coin is more of a lifestyle business. How, how can I create something where I'm working, let's say, four or six hours a day, producing you know, results for the marketplace, but also I get time to do the things I love during the Surfing. day or spend time with family. Surfing could be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
Now, it's interesting, if I go back, and I don't know the year the book came out, but it was in the early 1980s, if I recall, um, a very popular book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, Dr. Stephen Covey, that's just an amazing book to read. If, you, if anybody has not read that book, it, it's a book that they really do need to go back and look at, the principles that he talks about in there. But you talk about habits on a business side and a team and an organization side. Can you go, can you talk to us a little about the difference between individual habits and team habits and where they mesh, where they go, how they work and how, how to bring it about? So this is really interesting because I actually had to dissect the difference when I, when I give my, my presentations or when I actually work mm -hmm. with individual teams, I call it the following organic optimization and machine optimization. You can imagine where the teams and the humans fall under organic matter. Absolutely. But for the machine, the business, there's different habits that are involved. To use your example, let's talk about a team and then let's talk about the individual in, in, in a couple minutes. Okay. For the team themselves, let's just use the example of productivity and communication. Uh, the way that we've shifted in terms of how we orient our work, how we communicate with team members, has dramatically shifted from in-office to remote settings, global teams, different times, those asynchronous, et cetera. However, there are ways to optimize that machine because it is the communication formats, the structure of meetings, how we set up asynchronous communication. All of that is something that we can optimize as a machine because the team follows whatever we optimize for. It's like following whatever track we create. Get on the track. And once we have the track, then we're more likely to stay on it. Exactly. With a minor derailment from time to time. And if you do that well, you'll be a good leader. But if you want to be a great leader, and I think this is important for what you, you care about in your audience, you focus on the individual. If you help the individual become better and focus on them and their productivity and how they approach their day and how they approach the mission of the company, if you work on that, doing that for each individual will 10x your team in terms of not only productivity, because we don't care about doing more in less time. We care about doing more of the right things effectiveness mm -hmm. within the team. So yeah. that's how you marry both the optimization of the machine, the business itself, the way that we structure things, but also the organic, the team, the, the environment, the individual. Right. It, ha it has to get there. We've got to get into a, a basis of doing it. Um, there are some organizations, Marriott Hotels in particular, um, their hotels get together every single day before every single shift and they have a huddle meeting to go over things. And there's certain things about handoffs that need to go. That is one of their habits that they do every single day before every single shift, 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. So the, they have taken an automation of a human aspect to a business aspect. Am I on the right path where that thought? Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good analogy. It's a good example to look at as well. Mm -hmm. And that's the key thing about this is that there is no, in business, I believe that there is no absolutes, yes or no answers. There, obviously in ethics there is, but when it comes to business, there is either a good answer or the best answer at the time with the information mm -hmm. that we have, with the knowledge that we have. So I think when you're looking at different examples, Marriott being one, or even your business, if you're listening to this, um, your business being one, it's understanding how can I take these frameworks because that's what they are, frameworks to build upon and customize for my team, for my goals, for my, for my personal business and professional mission. So let's look at this now with your mindset here. And I believe that there is the entrepreneur mindset 
and there's also the bureaucratic mindset. Mm -hmm. The there are plenty of entrepreneurs who have a bureaucratic mindset, and there are plenty of people in the bureaucracy industries that have uh, entrepreneurial mindsets. So mm -hmm. it, it's not position in this situation; it's just a mindset. But my question kind of gets to: What can you recommend to team leaders, frontline leaders, um, maybe somebody who's maybe not even being in one hundred percent in charge? What can you give to them uh, from an entrepreneurial mindset to help create the, um, the accountability, but also the processes that need to be put into place? This is, this is an interesting question because this goes more, again, like you mentioned, with leadership development, leadership frameworks and thinking. Mm -hmm. I think the number one thing, if you actually want to behave like an entrepreneur within a bureaucratic setting, is to take ownership. I know it's easier I'm sorry, say that again. To take ownership. Okay. Take ownership of your role, take ownership of the outcomes, take ownership of the team. And that can be a little difficult because there might be red tape of what you can actually do based on the environment. And I've been in a, in a corporate environment where red tape was everywhere and I just thought it was ridiculous. Um, however, if you take ownership and you exceed expectations, not only for what's set for you, but for yourself and the actual outcome that you're trying to achieve to create mm -hmm. something better, That'll shine to your direct leader if you have a manager or a VP or a director. You can lead and manage your way up. And as, as someone for me who I also have teams that I help, I direct, I expect that from the team. I tell them, lead up, tell me what we should be doing because you see things that I don't by your unique position and you being in the trenches. Mm -hmm. And that's something that uh, Lee Iacocca, when he took over Chrysler in the 1980s, if you research and read that, that's something he did very, very well. He went back to those front leaders and told them to lead up and uh, go through that. So when, I, when you start to think about certainty, that, that's kind of one of those words. Creating certainty, okay? If you watch football and they've got this thing with Amazon's web services now, they create the stat. He's got a 23% chance for certainty of making this catch or something of that nature. When we start to look at that, how can we create certainty in our business? Well, certainty obviously is a visceral word. It, it triggers an emotion. If either I have it in my business and I'm confident or I'm always worrying about it. The key art that I've seen productive profits produce obviously is a business outcome for, for my clients and as well for the teams that I've helped but the bigger impact is on the mindset of the owner, being able to take that two week vacation and actually not worry that things will fall apart, being able to trust other team members to execute at a level that they, ex that the owner expects it to. Uh, Cause you know, I work with small business owners. I work with the founders directly. Sometimes they would expect, why isn't this other individual or this team performing at the level that I can perform? And that's obviously a miscued mindset, but it's also understanding, well, no one's ever going to be you at your level, but we can produce a team and an outcome that at least reaches an 80% of your level okay. and understanding what that floor is and making sure that we adjust to increase performance, increase outcomes. Certainty is a little bit stronger word than, than being confident because you can be, you can buy confidence, but you can't buy certainty. Certainty is being absolute sure that you understand every edge and flow within your company, understand how to get a pulse of the company, even if you're by the pool, sipping a drink on a sunny day, remote vacation, 
understanding how you can get that communication and not be without you know, that fear. And that, that's actually the key thing that Productive Profits produces is helping eliminate fear, giving the sanity back to the founders. And that produces an outcome where the founder can focus on the most important work and drive more business. And that's the beauty of it. You know, I can relate some of that to a, a family and with a teenager about leaving the kid at home, if they've been able to create the certainty for the kid to do the stuff, what they're supposed to do, and the parents feel comfortable with going out without worrying about it. So there's, there is a, a, a commonality there, I do believe. So Yeah, there, there definitely is. Because even if, let's say, you have the space, the mental bandwidth to focus on your business, let's say you have the team doing it for you, maybe the best use of your time isn't on your business and it's on the family. Mm-hmm. And now you can have your, when you're at home, you're at home, you're not at, at work. Absolutely. And the challenge, of course, through the pandemic that we've gone through, for the last how many months we've done it is we're now suffering from maybe over too much family. Oh, everything's starting to happen. I think the pendulum has swung both ways and then maybe coming back to kind of in the middle with more people able to work from home, be able to create the right environment to do that. So how are people able to create certainty with people in a remote environment? That goes back to the, the same settings. Everything actually, from my experience in productive profits, has been remote. Growing mm-hmm. teams uh, globally uh, at a substantial rate within a very short amount of time, um, like going from five or seven people to 24 in less than, than a year, for one example. With that, the way that you can create certainty is by focusing, again, on the basics. The beauty of communication is that communication is human. And that business, the future of business, I've, I've been saying, and this has been my thesis, the future of business will still be human. Yes. In order to get meaningful work done, we must have trust. And that can only be done with two individuals. When you have set trust, then it's identifying what are the tools at my disposal. And this is not software. We're talking about communication tools. There are two main, main, two main ways of communicating. Synchronous, which is what you and I are doing here. Mm-hmm. one-on-one set time frame. We're different time zones, but we're meeting live. Mm-hmm. But then there's asynchronous. And then how can we leverage those two tools to not only communicate trust, reinforce trust, but also communicate the actions that need to happen, set expectations, set deadlines, so on, and all the fun stuff that comes with activities. Mm-hmm. When you do that repeatedly for the core areas of your business, not only will you have for certainty that you know, okay, my team knows what's up, I know where we're heading towards. I know where the metrics, we have measurements. I can check in. You can kind of not let go, but also leverage the ability to use asynchronous to not always be checking in every 15 minutes. Tell me what's up. Tell me what's going on. Tell me these things. And that cycle is like working out. You might go to the gym once, maybe get a result in an hour, maybe, you know, but usually if you go to the gym- the result will be minimal. That's for sure. That's for sure. But if you go to the gym- and you work out for three months, you will see progress, you will see results. So it's not just um, doing this once, it's doing this consistently over time, which is Mm -hmm. the tricky part because we have to exist through time to see things through. So what have you noticed in the last six, 12, 18, 24 months? What have you noticed in organizations that weren't virtual, weren't heavily remote? as they moved into that virtual remote environment, what have you noticed in how they had to change 
And did you get them, uh, give them ideas to change some of the ways they did their business to be able to create that certainty? Yeah, that's actually a perfect example. I helped one of the, uh, the larger LinkedIn advertisers in the world. They were, they had a, they had a physical office. They had some team members remote, just maybe one or two, but they actually transitioned to full remote. But when we started working together, we actually set the principles that I just discussed to potentially work remote from the get-go because those principles, I, I, I personally believe that can work better even in an in-person setting because there's just something about relating to another human being, being in that same room, even though that's probably not possible anymore. There's still like, I think there's a competitive advantage to that. That's just okay. a theory. Okay. However, the things that we did were the same principles of setting a, a shared communication channel shared activity channel, shared metrics, and making sure that we set expectations for what needs to happen in order to see the end result. And okay. the nice thing is when each team member makes, uh, takes an action or is an activity, that action itself produces a measurement. So we don't have to create redundant reports after the fact, because that's the nature of their work. Their activities either produce a result for clients or they don't produce a result for clients. But within that transition, we set up the right foundations to possibly go remote if they ever wanted to. This is before we knew that yeah. this was happening. Okay. But actually within the last six months, they've gone full remote. And the, the, the seamlessness of how they communicated before to how they're communicating now was almost not felt simply because we had everything in place from the beginning. Obviously, the main difference that's going to be different is going to be I can't just go to my coworker and just go to their office or desk right next to say, Hey, can you ask, can I ask you this quick question that mm -hmm. can't happen as much anymore. That's the big drawback. However, when you set expectations of when you're meeting clear structures, as well as expectations of making sure that you respond at least twice a day asynchronously and making sure that you meet the milestone for your, for your role or for your activity, uh, day in weekend month out, we start creating momentum and that momentum we just build upon. Do you notice more and more organizations, I should say, do you notice organizations using more of instant messaging uh, tools or are they using less now? I always talk about consolidating to one tool. Okay. Simply because, uh, I mean, here's a real, a real example. I would get Skype messages. Uh, emails, personal emails, work emails, pings, LinkedIn, all these different, all these different places. And guess what's going to happen? Overwhelm. It's You're just going to happen. So if you train the team to focus on one communication channel of your choice, there's no right or wrong answer for what you decide is based on your preference. Okay. You can create structure around that. One of the mistakes I've seen, and I actually, not to call any individual out, but this was a, a well-known company on LinkedIn, lots of employees, uh, they went back to 15 minute, 10 minute phone calls instead of using an instant messaging tool. That to me tells me they did not have a strategy to go remote. They did not have a strategy of communication and redundancy within communication, like synchronously, that's just going to slow everyone down. And if you're only working synchronously, I would say if you're working 80% of your time synchronously and 20% asynchronously, you will be outcompeted by companies that can move faster in a day than you do in a week simply because of the, the lag time of being on live calls every day. Okay. I want you to repeat that because I think that's critical. I think it's a very essential point. So go say that one again for us. If you're working 
synchronously, live meetings, 80% mm -hmm. of your time, you will be outcompeted by companies who know how to work asynchronously for the majority of their workday. That's so powerful. That is so powerful. So let's, let's twist this a little bit. And these companies that are now working 80, 90% remote, have you noticed morale go up, go down, stay pretty much within reason? That's a tough one because there's a lot of factors when it comes to morale outside yeah. of the work environment. This is where like your expertise on culture and focusing on team building is probably the most important simply because if you don't have a good culture before you go remote, when you go remote, it's just like the culture will be defined. Two, there's two sources of definition and you only have, this is the only binary choice. One of the binary choices in business, either you will define the culture yourself or the culture, or will, the define culture will define itself. Yep. And you don't want that to happen. Yeah. Well, every organization has a culture. It's just, is that the one you want? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's so, so powerful to understand that because there's ways to do it. And when you went down the line and talked about an activity channel, my brain, more of the team side of things, okay, let's create an activity channel that is more non-business. So you can create something there. So you can have that interaction of human fun stuff to go in there. Is that a possibility as well or not? That is a possibility. And I think this is the cool part about identifying how large is your team? What are the, the communication formats with their team? Like I have a team right now that does a daily standup for 15 minutes that is sharing wins, creating morale, and it's led and it's enthusiasm throughout the day. And if you're available to meet, you can meet. If not, you can skip it. But the okay. cool part about that is that that's custom based on that team, their culture, their business, their goals, and their availability. For your team, maybe that can just be, if possible, doing a retreat, have another team that we're planning a remote, well, a remote get together of a retreat at a cool exotic location, simply because what's better than meeting together and actually spending time face-to-face -face, either at a cool location or team bonding. Okay. Leaders need to facilitate growth, regardless whether they're the business owner, whether they're the senior level vice president or whatever. And what I've noticed in a lot of talking with people in the recent weeks and months is senior management seems to be out of touch and doesn't seem to know what's going on on the front line. So obviously leader leading up is an important factor in that we've discussed that. What can, and this is gonna tie back into leader leading up, I'm sure, but what can frontline leaders do to help facilitate growth in their business model, even on a small team, and then does that change as we work up the, uh, the ladder to the corporate level? Let me answer that with a real life example. And I wrote a short essay around this on LinkedIn last week, if, you, if the audience wants to see that. Okay. However, this is exactly what I do. This is exactly what I've been seeing, depending on your team size, department size, right? If you're right. a team of 15, this applies to you. If you're a team of 50, this applies to you. If you're a team of uh, 70, 80, this still applies to you. Anything That's an above that- a lot of people on one team. Oh, department, right? But yeah. when you're at that level, this is my personal experience. If you're above that level, we'll have to break this out into different segments, but this mm -hmm. principle applies. Okay. You have to meet with your team leads as a leader. You have to meet with the team leads at least once a week. If you want to set a different cadence by like every two weeks, fine. Every month, okay. But set the cadence. cadence. 
set a cadence, meet with the team leads, get the, in the trenches notes. It doesn't okay. have to be an hour meeting. I do 15 minute power meetings, focus on the opportunity, focus on the problems. That's it. On top of that, doing all team, all hands on deck meeting. Again, this is dependent on your team size. This one I recommend once a week with all the horizontal side of the team. If you're looking at an org structure, there is, there's the vertical top down and there's a horizontal left, right? Right. The first example I gave of meeting with individual teams, that's a vertical example. You yep. meet with the team leads or the entire team. The horizontal is meeting with the team leaders across every different team or department within your, you know, your department segment, whatever you want to call it, whatever mm -hmm. your org structure is, at least once a week. So that we can have strategy. You can have clear clarity around, around updates around the team and have a constant pulse. That takes one hour out of your week. So we're down to an hour 15. The third, and this is variable, is setting times on your calendar. If you have a, an assistant, let them do it for you. If you have an assistant, my assistant's called Calendly. I have AI <laughs> to do my, <laughs> right? I mean, I think oh, technology yes. can do it. I love that assistant. Just do certain hours in the day, not all day, where you are able to take 15-minute power meetings for impromptu team meetings. That way, let's say you're working on a project, but this team needs support, you're available to go in and support. As a leader, and this is something that I, I believe is true, is that there is no such thing as maintenance mode. Because I'm sorry, if even there's if no such thing as? Maintenance mode. Maintenance mode, got it, okay. Because if you look at, like the example is the silly example, but if you look at the example of the stock market, generally over the last hundred years, it goes up. It grows by a certain percentage. And that's quote unquote maintenance, like the S and P's, like the, the baseline. Yep. yep. So maintenance is actually growth, even if it is by 2% a year. So if you're looking at maintaining, you always have to look at how can I make this better? Even if it's one small action, if you're a leader and kicking back, not doing anything, you're kind of retired mentally. That's not what real leadership is. Leadership is being in the trenches, focusing on helping the team win. You don't have to do everything yourself. That's why you leverage the team. However, you facilitate, you orchestrate change, you orchestrate actions. It's like a beautiful symphony. <laughs> I was watching your hands there. Anybody who's watching this, they'll see your hands going like you're conducting the orchestra right now. So that, that's what I would say is mm -hmm. if, you, if you feel like you're out of touch, get in touch. It's, it's really one simple call away. Yeah. So there was an hour and 15 minutes out of call it a 40 hour week. That's a very small percentage of time. Exactly. Okay. And then you're talking about the setting 15 minute increments they can plug into your calendar at certain points. And you set the, those openings up so people know when they can do that. So they and just they can't, can't pop in and say, Hey, I need this right now, two minutes from now, the next, because you don't have the time. Am I working on the right premise there? Correct. And the beauty of that is that if the team needs to meet with you on something urgent today, then we need to understand how did we arrive to this point? How did we arrive to urgency last minute? Everything's on fire type point. Because going back to Covey, I like to live in quadrant two. 90% <laughs> of the exactly time. That's exactly where I was just going. <laughs> I, I live in quadrant two. Uh, other um, people like to live in quadrant one. That's just their spice in life, but that's okay. So quadrant let's, two is you quad, let's go through the quadrants. So anybody who's listening, who may not understand what we're talking about here, I'll let you go ahead and explain it. So Covey has a beautiful quadrant, four different areas. We'll just talk the first two. It's and about it's a what's Hardy important. Windows, so there's four squares. Yeah, four squares. What's important and what's urgent. 
what's not important, what's non-urgent. We're just going to focus on the first two where something is important and it is urgent. This would be that a client is wanting to quit and something mm -hmm. happened. That would be important and urgent. That would be reasonable. We have to mm -hmm. understand what's going on with the client. Sure. That's Even called firefighting. Firefighting. The second one is it's not urgent, but it is important. Mm -hmm. so for example, if personally, your health would be here. I don't have to work out every day, but if I want to risk the potential of something happening in the future, you know, I should probably work out 15, 30 minutes a day minimum. This is where the proactiveness lives. Right. And the, the beauty of that is that if you train your team to live in quadrant two and minimize quadrant like one of urgency, fires, firefighting, uh, you're not only going to be at a better headspace, your team will be less burnt out. And I don't have the metrics, uh, but I am willing to bet that that will increase morale. It'll increase morale. It will also decrease churn rate. There's exactly. no doubt about that. Yeah. Because people will feel better. They're not going to leave uh, automatically. And that's the thing we're starting to see right now is a lot of organizations that aren't in that area, that aren't there. The culture is not the right thing. Something's not the right fit. People are there. 8, 10, 12, 14, 18 months, and they're out the door because of something that's not right there because they, they couldn't feel it. Yes, and I think what you mentioned earlier, the culture, the mission, I believe that what I'm seeing in the marketplace right now is uh, high talented um, you know, intellectual workers or you know, knowledge workers are sticking to organizations that have meaningful purpose and that yeah, make yes. a difference. And that, that, that is huge, especially when we start talking uh, the younger generations as opposed to people in their 50s. The younger ones want more purpose in their lives. They want more purpose in the businesses they're serving. Exactly. And, mm -hmm. if you, and that's easily overlooked. And if you have that set, then we can focus on what you mentioned, the culture. How does the culture fulfill the purpose? How do our values actually live out in our day-to-day -day activities? Okay. How do we communicate that? And it went, again, doing this day in, day out, repeatedly every week, you start to see progress. You start to see change. And it's not always easy, but I will say stick to it even for a month. Like try it for a month. You will see a positive, a positive return on your Great. time investment. I'm going to go back. There's another book. I'm not sure you've read it. I've been listening to it on an audiobook called Atomic Habits. And it really helps in there again about the simplicity of something and doing it on a routine basis to create the habit. There is no longer just simply saying 21 days to create a habit. That's not true. Mm -hmm. It's the consistency and the repetition that we do it with. Yeah, with James Clear, that, that's completely true. Mm -hmm. And obviously this will, this will actually challenge you as a leader because if, you're, if you want your team to behave in a certain way, well, then it has to come from the top. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, again, we talk about organic optimization, your own optimization, how you approach your day, how you approach your time, how you approach your communication, doing that, even yourself, you'll start to see a difference. And that difference is, you know, the, the purpose of the work that we do that I do here is that okay. it's, it impacts an individual, but it, at the end, it will also impact the organization. That's awesome. So in closing here, I want to ask one last question. If you could give someone who's listening right now in a leadership role, whether it's a frontline leader through a CEO, what's one thing you would tell them they need to do in the next uh, 96 hours? 
set your 80-20 day up. So what this is, is I call it 80-20 day optimization. And as a leader, I have an exact uh, training around this and I'll give it to you here for free. For that day, you want to do at least two to three things before you answer an email, before you check your Slack, before you check your text, when you go to work. Those two to three things are your highest leverage activities, quadrant two. They're not urgent, but they are important. And mm -hmm. if you do these things, and let's say, for example, you just do those things and finish in two to three hours, you could, in theory, stop working that day and still be a successful day. Awesome. When you do that. So that's your 80-20 day. So you're taking the Pareto principle to a whole different level there. Exactly. And then from there, there's different components of setting that day up. Because once you complete those, then you can check your email. Then you can check the intake of the day, the wilds, the wildfires of the day. And then you start, you know, knocking things out bit by bit. Then you, can get, the 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 then you can get what I call to the BS, the busy <laughs> stuff. The busy stuff. But then by the end of the day, what I would recommend before you log off on finishing the busy stuff, check your email, check your intake one more time, because we're not having notifications on our phone. We're not having notifications on our email. I always am in do not disturb mode. Um, I only get calls from very important people. That would be my wife. Other than that, at the end of the day, do what I call build up. Build, build up activities. B-U-I-L-D? Yeah, build like builder. Okay. Those activities are either learning something new, taking a course, focusing on what you can do, preparing for tomorrow. What are the meetings that I have tomorrow? How can I prepare for them? Mm -hmm. And you do this as much as you'd like. It could be an hour, could be 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. However, doing this day in, day out, um, this, this strategy, I've worked with individuals who are working eight to 12 hour days. Again, they were remote, but eight to 12 hour days, depending on the workload of the day, we were able to cut that back to six to eight hour days. Wow. Well, and that goes again, I think Covey was the one who even talked about this is do, set your to-do list, your action items, what you need to do the next day, set your calendar in place before you leave work that day. So when you come in the next day, you already know what your high priority items are. Exactly. And the cool thing is that this can also focus on your personal life. Let's Absolutely. say you are a morning person and your priorities in the morning are to work out, to meditate, or maybe just to call a friend. I'm not sure, you know, whatever mm -hmm. that is, you knock that out in the morning, then you go to work at a high energy peak energy. Yep. You knock out your most important things. Don't bother with email just yet. The world can wait. And then you take, you tackle, you know, the emails and then the busy stuff, the BS for the rest of the day. <laughs> All right. Raul, it's been a privilege to have you on the Teamwork Advantage. And folks, you know, once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, we share skills and ideas that you can act on immediately. And here Raul has given us his 80-20 principle. So go back, listen to this podcast again. There's a lot of powerful information in here. Until next week, remember having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know that you're not average. So make this week excellent and exceptional. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great
great week because a good week is just being average.